0: You're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money Podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance, with your hosts, Josh Shelleck and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth.
1: Welcome, everybody. Josh and Colin here. And I have absolutely no idea what Colin's talking about today.
0: Well, Josh, I and mean, there's many of our podcasts that I've got no idea what you're talking about. I guess the difference that, that age teaches me is I don't say that out loud. Uh, you know, I, I struggle hard to catch up part way through, but I am going to ask you to pick up your, your energy level, because I'm talking about income tax today. And if we don't have a little bit of enthusiasm in our voices, then people will definitely fall asleep. Can you, can you bring some, oh yeah. Oh yeah. There
1: That's what go. you're looking for.
0: That's what I was looking for.
1: Well, you right. just income tax gets me fired up, so I'm ready to go.
0: Well, we're going to do our best to make this timely interesting. Now, again, this is going to come with an extra, extra disclaimer for me. This is not advice. This is for entertainment purposes only. If you happen to pick information from here, the college, if you ask, uh, either ask or somebody a direct question about your situation, then I'm going to call that open, but don't take any of this as the complete story on any of these topics. We're going to hit a few different things that have gone on and you know, preface things with, you know, here's how you should consume information. Here's what you can do with it. And here's what you can. All right. I think, I think, I think it was a complete enough disclosure
1: disclaimer, Josh. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, I, you did tell me before that we were talking about tax today. So I did, I did come prepared to talk tax. So I'm looking forward to this.
0: All right, there you go. See that? That's more enthusiastic, although if you could pick it up in your voice a little bit, that'd be great too. So, I took a, a two-day tax seminar here earlier in November and sat down. I got an update on some current topics and there's some other things out there that are like kind of working. And there's some stuff here to learn, so I wanted to to bring some of it forward. So, one of the things that was announced in February uh, this year, 2022. Was changing reporting requirements for bear trusts. Now, that's a fairly technical term, but it can affect a lot of people. Now, the problem is when legislation like this gets introduced in draft form, nobody really knows what they're talking about. So we were left the whole year to try to figure out what are they talking about. Some of the commentators who are getting down to, hey, if you've got a joint bank account with somebody, that could be considered a bear trust. And the consequence is that you could end up having to file a, a T a tax return basically on that trust and be, uh, have to do certain disclosures that never were the way. And, you know, the government's aiming at a whole bunch of people who are trying to take a shortcut, you know, whether that's putting somebody's name on a property or holding assets jointly to avoid, you know, taxation or avoid probing. Um, all of these little unofficial things that people do and it's problematic. So this legislation that was put in, uh, this year basically had a ticker that was running down because if you had any form of these kinds of trusts, you could be based on interpretations that weren't provided yet, uh, you could be on the hook for having to file it to T3 or you know, return or T2 return. Or, you know, be a whole bunch of things that could come out of this. So people were getting a little antsy, but behind the scenes, there was a whole discussion going on I happened to be on course when this bill C 32 came out from the government, which delayed the implementation of this a whole year, and oftentimes when stuff isn't never going to be enacted, it gets delayed a year and then just kind of magically drifts away because there are problems in the, the requirements here, but even though it hasn't happened, there's a couple of constructive things to take from it. Number one, the government's watching. And you know, they're taking a look at little tricks that people are using to avoid uh, you know, the tax act or other things. And from time to time, they're going to go after kind of close these holes or make them less interesting. The same way that they went after, you know, family trusts, the kiddie tax, where people are using the kids to split income tax. Uh, you know, there's things like that, that they've gone after. Anytime you can say, Hey, listen, I'll just do this and I'll avoid tax or I'll avoid probate. Um, you know, that can be a target and they will go after Now, They may or may not be successful. The other thing that's instructive from this is you can see that the government announces it as far as a budget update goes, and the draft legislation gets released. And behind the scenes, there's a whole bunch more activities. The department of Finance tries to codify it and something that's actually usable. And this is the point where a lot of the lawyers went after the government's particular issue, talking about privacy, because there are privacy constraints about, you know, beneficiaries of trust and how to properly disclose that, who things can be disclosed to. So it turned out, it was a little bit more complicated. That perhaps was, was imagined a ago. Sometimes these things get announced when it goes into effect, it could be completely different because even if the department of finance actually comes up with something that's readable, CRA has to come up with an interpretation. So there's a bunch of steps. So things can change quickly is one learning thing for this. The government has eyes on all the little things that people are trying to do to avoid things, like if you're doing something to avoid something, there could be a target on it. And the way that it dealt with can be uncomfortable. And if you have property that's held jointly or things of that nature, that's sometimes difficult to undo. So you may take know, a path forward that is open to things changing like this. So just again, to be a little bit careful about these things. So that probably was completely off of your radar, wasn't it, Not John?
1: Well, only on my radar because you and I had talked about it before after your, uh, your seminar there. Now, for the listeners, maybe explain a little bit about what a bare trust is or could be.
0: Well, yeah, and, and again, we're getting a little bit out of my depth here, but you know, basically, they were going after things like uh, putting additional names on accounts. Like, you know, that's a form of trust. You yeah, know, so you're holding, you've got an account set up for your kids, it's in trust for your kids. But if there's not a formal trust on, it's just listed on an account that this is in trust for a child. That does not have all of the elements of an actual trust. So therefore it gets classified as a bear trust. Yeah. So, so for, for
1: example, let's say you and I are married. Nice. Uh, lots of fun. I'm sure. Don't be judging. Don't be judging. <laughs> no, yeah. We have uh, a child and we want to put that child as a joint owner of our bank account. So when we pass away, that money will pass directly to that child. That's one example, a very basic example.
0: And, and it's not clear whether this legislation would affect that particular arrangement because it never got to the point of having any of the actual rules and regulations. So it was just announced at this 30,000 foot level mm-hmm. without any of the details and to two examples that you're talking about. Those were examples that were put forward by practitioners saying, is this going to be affected? So that's a big deal, right? Because there was no clarity. Uh, this is how new tax legislation is built. Uh, yeah. So. See, so, it, so, it is one of the examples I was throwing.
1: Yeah. So in in our world, the way that we see this come into place, potentially, again, we don't know exactly how they're going to define this stuff, but some elements that we think might be affected if they pass this legislation would be, like I said, joint bank accounts, joint investment accounts, uh, putting uh, a child or adult child as a, uh, a part owner, a co-owner of a property. I guess would be another. Like these are these are the ones that come to mind, and mostly in my mind, to bypass probate as as opposed to bypass income tax. Or some
0: some people think they're bypassing income tax, but we've already seen cases because again, the courts have held that a joint asset and needs to be defined as to what it is. Because sometimes you put your kid on your bank account just so that they can handle your affairs for you while you're alive. It's Mm -hmm. not a pre-inheritance; it was not designed as such. So there has been some back and forth, and again, this is not concrete, This is just highlighting a risk as to whether that's going to be treated as a pre-inheritance by the court or whether that's going to be treated as something that ends at death. So whenever you're doing these little shortcuts that you think are getting around things, there are legal aspects to be careful of, and income tax, you know, nuances to be careful of that can change. And I want to skip right to the end because the final point I'll make to everybody is that there's a difference between making a election on your tax return this year. That is based on a current interpretation that may or may not be challenged, but, you know, it's a safe thing in a gray yeah, area yeah. or enacting, putting as giving up ownership of an asset to somebody else, because it's tougher to undo that. You know, you can change from your year, year, how, you know, how you file a tax return? You start changing ownership on things. you are giving people you know, either implicit or explicit rights. Now you've right. got something that's difficult to do. And again, so we've had the, the, the situation where somebody puts their kid on a property and comes back next year and goes. All things have changed. I want to take it back from them. Or we're not really talking right now. I'd like to give this to another kid. Well, good luck. I mean, they, they, there's there's legal ramifications of these things too. But I just wanted to highlight that you know, again, there's a few examples based on seminary attended and some other stuff that's going on where they're targeting these things that people are just, oh, this is an easy way to bypass program or an easy way to you know, maybe avoid income tax or these kinds of things. Some of them are in the targets, the the the, the sites of the new legislation coming out. This particular thing's been kicked down the road, and it's been kicked down the road long before it ever got to the point where we really understood what it was for. But it could generally be coming for some of the things we talked about, and some of the things people choose to do.
1: Yeah, they're watching, I guess you're saying. And if you just look back at the last ten to fifteen years of tax code changes, they're just slowly closing the loopholes, and not not even loopholes. They're just some ability to split income or defer income or move it from one bucket to the other, things that are going to help you from a tax perspective, these, these are slowly going away. They're slowly whittling these down. And it's been frustrating for a lot of people, I think. So just something to keep in mind, is, as you said, as people go, go down these planning paths.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, if you're using an RSG for tax deferment, that's what they're just saying. Yeah, put money in an RSV and you pull it out of the stocks. that's what they're designed for. You can use it into using them to things they weren't designed for. Enough people do it and that's going to attract the attention, right? Because again, aggressive tax planning is always going to be a thing because there's a market it. There's a lot of people out there who, you know, let's be as aggressive as we can with this and there's professionals who will aid them in being aggressive. So, you know, that's, that's where things like this come, you know, and so they're saying, Hey, there's too many people planning this way. It's a detriment to the system. It was were intended. So we're going to you know, fix that rule. And the kidney tax is a big, one. a lot of people spent tens of thousands of dollars putting family trusts in place just to be able to share income with their kids. And again, the government said, that's not legit. Like we don't want you working as a dentist and having part of that money go to your 12 year old kid in um, our zero tax rate. And that's, that's not what we expect. That's not how the tax system has been designed. So boom, here comes the kidney tax. Toasty and other things about income splitting. is other hurdles there. So, but this is one that actually you and I walked a little bit. Next one, Josh, Are you ready for the next thing? I'm excited. First time whole savings account. Oh boy. <laughs> no, no, no. And again, but it's funny. This gets announced. All right. So this was announced in the 2022 budget. Uh, now again, when it's announced in the budget, it's not a thing yet. It's just an idea. It's almost like that that whole thing about how a bill is born in the US back. i we used to setting morning cartoons, which I know gosh, never saw. But you know, this is just an announcement that's made. So there's been some more, um, uh, that was part of the, the bill of C32 that came out in November was talking about this bear trust issue. So they put some more color around it. It has a few more, you know, a little bit more to it. So basically this is in addition to the RSV home plan. So this is a first-time home savings account, that you can put up to $8,000 per year in, and it's calendar based, so it's a little bit different than the next And up to $8,000 a year, maximum $40,000, and you can pull it out tax free put towards the house. Now there's a lot more rules to it than that, but that's generally what it is. Well, this was announced in the 2022 budget and they're now, I want to say hoping that they'll be available by like April of 2023. Because they have not provided any of the institutions with nearly the information needed to put these accounts together. And this is something that they're going to need cooperation from institutions to pull the other. you know, cause there's a bit of a history. Like the, there's a registered disability savings programs that are only available for a handful of providers in Canada. So it's a government program that was announced. That's in, in effect. You have a right to have one, but not every institution offers them. Because honestly, there's not really all that much incentive. Right, because if you're looking at an account that's got a maximum of $8,000 contribution and maximum of $40,000 contributions, relatively short time horizons for people do do, it's typically saving to buy a house. There's not a whole lot of profit margin in that type of account. So it'll be interesting to see how many institutions actually are willing to provide something like this. And again, we got one announcement Does maybe a lot of votes, when talking about making home buying more affordable. Young yeah, people can't afford buying houses. Well, we just launched this new savings program. Oh my God. That's amazing. No, it's not that amazing. Uh, and it's on top of other programs that are up there, but now the, the, the most recent disabilities, they're hoping that by April of next year, that maybe some provider in Canada may be in a position to offer one to you, but it's, it's still not again they announced it in the budget that doesn't mean you can call me up the next day as some people did and say great i want one of these like that's not how you take nothing else away from this podcast take that when it gets announced in the budget it's not immediate not even close there's a whole bunch more steps in that down so that was an update on all of our savings products
1: i'm going to go a little bit further and say not only is this not amazing i think it's dumb (laughs) the way that they've tried to implement this now refresh me is it your contributions to this first time home savers account, whatever they call it, is it uh you get a, a tax deferral from it's the a, contribution that goes no, in? It's a tax or break. It, so
0: no, this, this is an, I think this is come out of the details, Josh, says, change So it's a deduction going in, stack free account.
1: Okay. So you
0: basically are, are yeah. up to $40,000 a day. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, so my thing is not that the, the principle is dumb, but the way that they're implementing it, I think is stupid because why not? You already have a home buyer's plan as part of an RSP and you get a deferral for money that goes into an RSP. So why not just make it part of that and make all of our lives a little bit simpler? People probably don't understand when we are trying to uh, distinguish the different account types that we have. And at our firm, they use different letters of the alphabet to distinguish the different account types. It goes all the way from A to Z and into numbers. So we have like 30 account types, something like that. And they're just adding another one on top of it that, as you said, is something that's going to be very temporary, specific to a very uh, small number of, of people that are out there. And it's, I understand the financial institution's perspective as well, because they have to report on all of the contributions, all of the withdrawals to the CRA. CRA has to track this. We have to understand where they're going to be tracking that. We have to be able to keep tabs on it. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. We already have RSPs and TFSAs. You can use both of those for this purpose already. Why not implement something intelligently within the construct of those two accounts that we already have?
0: Because it gets some fewer votes, Jeff.
1: Well, yeah. And I knew you were going to say this. And I I knew it was a rhetorical question, Colin.
0: (laughs) Sorry. I'd say you know, it was a gag reflex, I had to say it out Oh, No, you're right. Because, I mean, when you go the RSG homeware plan, now all they needed to do was to make that, you know, a non-taxful withdrawal, and it was no requirement to repay.
1: Ex- exactly. You don't and have, have to repay it. You don't we have to repay it. Done. So, Thank listen, you. I,
0: I I am with you. I agree with you. you know, and, and this is what it takes to keep your energy, Josh, you keep growing. But you're the only guy that wants that doesn't care,
1: so. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just introduce something else that was a stupid policy decision for me, and, and here we go.
0: I'm glad you asked because I'm going to talk about the advanced life deferred annuities that oh, were announced yeah. in 2019. So in 2019, the government announced a new product, advanced life deferred annuities, because typically you cannot uh, purchase annuities if you are a certain age with most carriers. Now what the government felt was that that put people in their eighties at risk of running out of money. Therefore they made a provision that you could purchase an annuity at age 85, which is so generous of them seeing, so they're not in the market of providing it. Well, so they made this announcement in 2019, and it's been crickets. It's been cricket. I actually went back and took a look at how often people were writing about this, and it's not that often. So it received, it was in the 2019 budget, it received royal assent in June of 2021, which is pretty much as far as the government can go with me. But there's no product. Like I tried, I went looking actually as recently as today you know, to, to find a company that was actually offering any kind of product in this space. So again, it was announced in a budget. It took two years for it to receive royal assent. And it has currently, based on my research, and it may not be exhausted. Maybe someone will correct me in the comment section. Um there there is something out there. I don't think it has all that much of a planning uh, benefit, you know, because again, people once they get into their 80s, you know, annuity products, you know, now now interest rates have changed, but there's mortality be concerned about, I'm not sure of the efficacy of, of, of this particular product or what, if the companies will ever come up with something, but it is, again, it's an example of, and this is the whole point of this podcast is talking about some different tax initiatives, the amount of time from the budget announcement to actual enactment, to actual being available to the public. And this one currently I'm, I'm scoring is if it is available, it's very, very quiet. Cause I can't find it. Have you, yeah. have you seen an advanced life annuity anywhere Charles?
1: Well, no, I was just—I think it was last week. I saw something come across uh, on a headline. Where is the ALDA now? Advanced yeah. Life Deferred Annuity, and yeah. I didn't read it because I was like, "Well, it's, it's nowhere," because I haven't heard of it in three years. <laughs> but yeah, so just to be clear, you you buy this annuity at whatever age with your RSP, and it starts paying you at eighty-five. So huh. that I don't know. How does that make sense? I'm not really sure. I well, I guess if you're super concerned about longevity, living to 100, then yeah, it could make sense. But it seems like there's there's better ways maybe to tackle that than buying something that starts paying you after your your average life expectancy is supposed to be up.
0: That's just it, and you know they're the, the, the addressing something that's real. By the time you get to that point of your life, a lot of people are just very vulnerable and. You know, perhaps not rationally concerned about having enough money, and this is a way to give somebody a blanket and say, "Listen, you know what? Well, we can do this, and it's an annuity. Let me pay you as long as you're alive." So, but again, there's other ways to answer that concern. And again, it's something else that was trotted in public without. I, I would hazard a guess, and without sufficient support from industry, saying that they can actually put together a product that does this in any kind of a reasonable fashion. So. Again, there's a lot of circles that have to get closed before something becomes an actual planning thing.
1: Yeah, I have no doubt they could put together a product that does this, but I just is the appetite there? Is it marketable? Like, well, but can how, you...
0: how attractive is it going to look? I mean, what, what, what kind of payments can you? Yeah, you know, what you know compared to the alternatives? Like, what assumptions would you have to make in order for the idea to make sense compared to other and options that are already in the marketplace? Yeah. So, there's a whole bunch of things that play out.
1: So Yeah, I guess if I'm putting my industry hat on, I'm just thinking it's maybe hard to convince a 65 year old that, hey, we're going to take a lump sum from you right now. We'll start paying you, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're 85. How does that sound? Yeah. I was like, okay, not not very good. You already have people sort of um, um, trying to accelerate their CPP and, and OAS as, as quick as possible because they're worried about getting their they are paying a flash from the government after paying in all these years. So it seems unlikely that there'd be a big market for something like that.
0: So if you read about it and you want to make it part of your plan, not yet. You're going to have to wait a little while. Or... Um, let's move on because uh, another one of the analysis that's come out this year, and you know, a lot of, you're going to notice a bit of a theme, a lot of, a lot of what they're talking about is about housing. So this is, you know, a change in, uh, I'm not sure if it's just a change at the administrative side of CRE or whether there's actual legislation going to change this, but basically if you hold a house for less than you know, one year, uh, you sell, you don't get any capital gains. It's all considered business income. So they're going out hit the, the house uh, you know, Again, if you're flipping a house, you're not going to get preferential tax treatment. And again, this is from a policy perspective, they're trying to slow down the housing market. And this is something that, most of the population is not going to have a problem with. It. See, this is the other thing, Like, right? You know, they can make changes like this and piss off a small number of people at very high level. That's good because the democracies are fine with that. Uh, they just don't want to piss off a whole lot of people. So the, the changes tend to be a little bit more focused. And honestly, yeah, if you're, if you buy and sell a house, you're trying to claim a capital gain on it. No, that wasn't a capital gain. You're just rambling to flip because your expenses in doing the work are hundred percent deductible. And trying to pay only 50% tax on the other side. That's not what was intended. So, but again, that's just been announced. I don't know if that's been enacted act not the most serious and treating it that way right away, but they're going in that direction. So if you're in that space, thinking that you've got to with yourself, you're really, really smart. That's so cute. They're on their way. Just check outside the There's a black suburban part there right now. <laughs> and it, it, story connect us the to that there was a, a Supreme Court of Canada case where CRA keyed access to the records of the home building supply places so they can go in and take a look for hey, John Smith is been buying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of building goods, but he's not reporting any income. Hmm. I wonder what that's about. So, you know, they've gained that ability now, which they intend to use because, again, this is all connected to the, the narrative of trying to get a control over housing prices, and making sure that, you know, the government gets its piece of the that's going on. So uh, another
1: question for you, Colin, could we sure. just on that before we move on? Because it seems very uh, maybe focused on short-term capital gains that, that housing um, change now south of the border, they actually have a different tax rate for short-term capital gains than they do for long-term capital gains. I think that they, they delineate that at a one year holding period. Have you ever heard that floated here in Canada? Because I have not. But when I start hearing you talk about that housing change, I wonder if that could be da- coming down the pike at some point.
0: I was today years old when I heard that. You know, this is the very first time I did not realize the U.S. had that in their, their tax. I thought you were going down the road how interest is taxed, not related to U.S. mortgages. So there's some very significant differences between the two two sides. Uh, but there's been more conversation over capital gains inclusion rates that's been going to go up, you know, for the last 20 years now uh, because everybody's afraid of that. Yeah, uh, but so i we're, we're gonna stri-
1: we're gonna strike this from the records and just erase it all because I don't want to give them any ideas. So that's, that's short term capital gains, strike this from the record.
0: I don't, I don't, I don't want to pop you know, people in, Belinda Josh, but probably not listening to you. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think that you're you know, quite the magnitude that could influence that kind of thing just yet.
1: Well, well, if they were listening, me calling them dumb a couple sessions ago, probably ended it there anyway.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or you've got a audit coming your way, one or the other. Um, so there's another you know, tax court case that's, that's played out in the spirit. And it's interesting because it's not directly at, uh, the tips for waitresses and waiters, but it's in that space, which is probably going to cause some knockout effects. So there's actually a restaurant at Halifax. A very popular restaurant. Who ended up at the, the Supreme Tax Court? I'm not sure if Supreme Court cat or is the top level. And they were chasing it down because CRM uh, came after them for source deductions on pool taxes pool tips or So their position was that the tips were electronic tips received on the restaurant. The restaurant paying to the people that earned the tips, but they weren't withholding source deductions. So they were withholding E I or C P P on them. The court case was over whether or not the restaurant owned or owed source deductions, and they lost. So the the, the final ruling has come down that they do, they are required to revit source deductions on that, which is bad news for the employer. Now, this is, because this is a brand-new ruling, everybody's got to figure out, you know, hey, if we're going to put all of the tips that come in electronically on the T4 for source deduction calculations, it's now on the T4. So this could mean that previously untaxed income is going to become taxable it's been the loophole that the and he has you know kind of made their living off literally and figuratively so this is something that's going to potentially change this year and again I, I bring it forward as something that's that's in everybody's day-to-day life that you know again having a tax plan and, and making sure that you can pivot and adjust the changes come along is important um, you know and the industry is going to have to, to adjust to this and they're going to have to do so uniformly because the challenge is, is if when, you know, restaurant chain decides to be very conservative about this, well, they're going to lose all their employees or other employers who are not going to be as concerned. so it's going to, you know, it's going to play out over the next little while and it's an issue that's been, you know, run through the rain a little bit over the last couple of years as well, but it is a change that's coming forward. So if if you have any form of income that is tip related or you know, something similar that you think is a non taxable form of remuneration. Be careful. They'd come after this one. And this has made it like, right to the, as I understand, a top level of tax worth that you can go with it. So the finding is now precedent. It's now law. What it means to everything else, again, this is everybody looks for, for, for to be completely confident exactly what this means. They're not because it's open to interpretation. It's open to be challenged. And there still could be more precedent set.
1: It's interesting because we were just uh, when I was out watching the Canada World Cup game on the weekend. We were just talking about the different cultures and countries around the world and their tipping culture. And it's very unusual, I would say, in in most other um, Westernized or first world countries around the world that uh, that tipping's a thing. So it seems to be really a North American thing. We were talking about the UK where it's it's almost frowned upon to to tip and. Or heading out to New Zealand later this week, and yeah. tipping's not a thing there. So uh, it seems like a lot of a lot of the world is kind of ahead of us on this one. And maybe this the simple solution is to remove tipping and have it more of a, let's pay these p- people a fair wage right off the bat and stop subsidizing them through tips, and that might solve all the problems. Completely kind of irrelevant to the tax then, but also uh, kind no, of.
0: I'm going to tie right back, it's perfectly relevant to this conversation, Josh, because again, people take a look at these changes and go, oh my God, this is the end of the world. No, it's not. It's just a different reality. There's people all over the world that run this way, you know? So no, this, this isn't like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. Shut up. It isn't. This is just a new reality and you hit it right on the head, you know, in order to have these people work in these restaurants, you're probably going to have to pay them more The your meal is going to go up probably roughly close to what you were tipping before, but the yeah. tip's going to come out of the equation and then we really had a different spot. No, so this isn't the end of the world. This is going to be winners and losers. There's going to be people adjust to it better than others. And it's going to take some time, It's messy while it happens, but yeah, that's a, it's a great point, Josh. I mean, I haven't done nearly as much traveling abroad as you do, know, but my, I didn't want to experience in Iceland where yeah, tipping wasn't a thing. Prices were ridiculous, but tipping wasn't a thing, so. Make, it. there are places you can make it work. So there's something else coming forward next year that the, uh, C.R.A. is coming to hear. Apparently, and again, this is coming for somebody who's kind of on the inside of the tax policy world. They're apparently C.R.A. is going to come forward with a list of aggressive tax planning strategies that, uh, tax practitioners are going to be required to report now, not to say that they're going to you know, do anything about them, but they'd like to have a shopping list of the aggressive tax planning and stuff. So. You know, there's things like using, you know, cash value of life insurance to pledge to, you know, for a loan so that, you know, you don't have to pay tax on, on the way. So it's a tax free way of getting money out of life insurance. That's one sort of the best example of aggressive tax plan. And uh, right now that hasn't been a problem, but you know, if I was a betting person, if they've gone after everything else they've gone after, that's going to make the list of something. So the, the, the tax practitioners are going to be obligated and required now to disclose various enumerated tax strategies to CRA. Again, what they're going to do with that information is probably consider what they need to do about it. That's probably a lot of things that they're not entirely sure how to deal with. Uh, Again, they've they've taken a run at different things, like the Bear Trust is a great example. They took a run at it and they seem to have missed. That's not the only bullet they're going to use. There there could be another way that they can back after it. So that's going to be different for this year. Bill C 208 we talked about, that's where they actually, and this, this is the niche law. Forgive me, everybody. This is interesting. We're talking about a piece of legislature. Yes. Legislation. Yes. It's interesting. Bill C 208 uh, allowed, does allow for family businesses to transition from one generation to the next without being punished unportedly. Uh, it used to be like, if you sell your business to a third party, you got those tax advantages to that, but if it stayed within the family, you didn't get the same tax advantages. So they have changed that. Now this was introduced by a backbencher, which is peculiar. Like, typically, backbenchers don't get things actually brought into law, but this one did. But the problem was it didn't go through the normal process. So it's horribly written. Perhaps one of the most horribly written pieces of legislation in the history of legislation. So it's very ambiguous and it's full of holes right now. So this goes back to aggressive tax strategy. There's aggressive people gonna do very really aggressive things with it, that they're gonna themselves in trouble. But it's going to get cleaned up. And it's it is something that's very, very positive for business owners. And if you have somebody in the family you are planning on selling the business to, make sure you talk to your who's giving your tax advice about how Bill C208 affects that uh, to your advantage. Make sure you go through that for sure. There's all kinds of other things that are going focused on corporate employees. Uh that's something that Syria is going after really hard. Because again, there's one of those gray areas. So much taxes are gray. You know, am I an employee or am I a contractor? And sometimes it's the individual that wants to be treated as a contractor. Sometimes it's the employer that wants to be treated as a contractor. And sometimes the employer says, I want you to incorporate. Well, again, if you go on CRI's website, there's a whole range of things that they look at as to, is this legit? And it's not definitive. It's all gray you can try to defend anything, but it is an area of focus now. They're taking a look and saying, is this legit? So like. People play in this gray area all the time. And for personal reasons or corporate reasons, they do that. It's something that's on the radar. Be careful. They're going to take a look at it. Uh, there's a couple other changes coming down. Generally, any avoidance rules are being expanded. Uh, basically when you get to the end of the tax act, there's a blanket statement that says, Hey, any tax, any, any series of transactions that you undertook specifically to avoid income tax, we're going to disallow. Um, so if you violate, if you violate the, the, the principles of the tax act to a point that we well, don't like it, we're just going to say, and the avoidance, you know, tax, and that's actually fairly stringent in Canada. Like there's not, they, there's all kinds of stuff that really doesn't apply to, you. they're looking to expand that because again, people are, when you get to litigation, people are challenging. Uh, alternative to minimum tax in Canada, that's zero taxes for the government, basically, if you have events in the current year that your tax will come up by a certain amount because there's a minimum tax that you're going to have to pay. But when it's currently ready, as you get that back over future years, they're looking at capping or restricting you know, the carrying forward of that. But I want to end on a general planning principle when it comes to tax. I've gone through a whole list of fairly recent things, current things that are going through. And I want you to have a couple of takeaways here. One, because the government says it in a budget doesn't mean it's going to happen. Two, because they said it in the budget, that doesn't mean it's going to show up the way they set it in the budget, because there's a bunch more steps that have to happen. Three and four are a little bit more nuanced. Again, there's a big difference between making an election this year on your tax return that you may not make next year. All right. So if you're just electing to report or treat something differently one year over the next, you know what? that You're not taking as big a chance on things as you are. If you enact a very complicated strategy involving corporate structure, trusts, all the rest of it, you spend a whole bunch of money and go down a road towards something that's not undoable for tax planning purposes. You're taking a much bigger risk and honestly, you're making a bigger target yourself. So you want to be super careful in that regard. And again, there's always going to be somebody up there telling you that aggressive strategy can work for you. Everybody loves paying less tax and you want to believe, but you really, really should be careful. Do you think, do you think I, I gave enough disclosures and disclaimers on this, Josh?
1: I think so. And I was just surprised that, hey, income tax policy, maybe not as boring as you think.
0: Well, listen, I, I took a course from a guy. So, and this was a two day course, and Bill C 32 became available that Monday night or two. It was Monday night, that's what it was. So, we we're all meeting for having a cocktail after the president, he didn't show up. Come to find out he had received a copy of Bill C 32 that night. So he stayed up most of the night reading it. So he came in the next morning, way enthusiastic about the bill, and probably one of five people who actually read it. I could not begin to ascend to his level of excitement over it or retain more than 5% of what he had to say, it, but, but you know, I, hopefully I did.
1: Well, that's great, Colin. And, uh, as you said, you, you said multiple times in the past, really, you don't really reinvent your tax planning strategy around something that might happen in the future. So I think that's the main takeaway here.
0: That's another huge takeaway. That's a very good point. That I don't think I made very well, gosh, I mean, it's, you know, if something gets announced, you expect something, don't, don't reorganize right. your finances around something you think is going to happen, or even if it's been announced in the budget, wait until it actually gets royalistic so and wait until we actually see rules and regulations around before you act. Because again, it, it, so much can change from time something gets announced and time it gets done.
1: And I just can't wait to open a whole bunch of first-time home buyer savings accounts in, in April. It's going to be very exciting.
0: This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a Portfolio Manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the Portfolio Manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth, Inc. IA Private Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth, Inc. operates. We've noticed something seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihavenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us, it'll be okay, you'll see. The content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client's situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.